So today I'm going to talk about uh, meditation, and I'm going to start off with uh, IBMC meditation. So we have opportunities during the week to meditate. We have Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday from 7.30 to 8.30. The front door opens and people are invited to come in and meditate for that hour. Um, And then um, once a month, uh, and sometimes twice a month, depending, we're going to have the mini retreat. We have a two-hour Saturday retreat from 10 until 12 with a Dharma talk that usually ends about 1. And it was the first Saturday of the month, and now we're going to have the first and third Saturday of the month, except for this month. It's never simple. And, and so I thought, well, why do we meditate? And I was interviewed by a fellow who has a podcast, and he wanted to interview me about Buddhist meditation because he had been doing some Catholic meditation interviews and thought it would be a good contrast to see what the Buddhists had to say. Well, the feeling I had after my interview was that he was sort of disappointed with what I had to say. And, and I... I have to admit, I said something that I hadn't said before when it comes to meditation. And what I said was, to his question, uh, what's the purpose of meditation? What's the final goal of meditation? And my answer was, to let go. And there was this silence. He just sort of looked at me through the Skype camera. and, And he didn't seem to grasp what I had just said. And to be honest with you, I hadn't really thought I was going to say that, so I didn't know what it meant. So I've had a couple weeks now to think about it, and I have to say that it is to let go. So here we are, and we're sitting in meditation, and, and what are we going to let go of besides the siren behind us? What are we going to let go of, and, and why is that important? Well, letting go is really important because every moment is different. So if you drag the last moment into the present moment, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to have a whole lot of stuff to carry with you. Okay. And the first thing we need to let go of is desire. You know, the Buddha said one of the reasons we suffer is because we have desire. Another thing we need to let go of is attachment. We suffer because we're attached to stuff that always changes moment by moment. Another thing we need to let go of is aversion because there are things in this world we don't like and things happening that we don't want to happen and yet they do and so we have to let go of that. So as the list got bigger I thought to myself wow this is really profound that this whole idea of letting go is so important in meditation and that in meditation what we're doing is we're letting go of stuff for an hour on Wednesday, Friday and Sunday. And, and a lot of people are not ready to let go, even for an hour. So the front door opens and people come in and they sit on the cushions and they take out their cell phone and they put it right in front. They don't turn it off because they could get a very important call. <laughs> and they don't want to miss that. And, and if the phone does ring, they simply don't turn it off. What they do is they look at it first to see if it's an important call. 
And if it's important, they'll go outside and answer it. And if it's not important, they might decide to turn off their phone so there's no more calls. Okay, that's not letting go. Letting go is maybe leaving your phone at home for an hour or two, or leaving it in the car, well hidden so nobody sees it, or bringing it in here but turning it off before you get through the front door. How simple is that? It's so difficult. Attachment. It's really hard. But that's how we start letting go. The most obvious things in our life that cause us the most suffering will eventually be the things we need to work on first. So here the person comes in and they sit down and their phone is turned off and and now they have to figure out how to sit comfortably for an hour. And some choose a chair and some choose a cushion and some choose the floor and some choose to lean against the wall and some choose to almost recline because they realize that if they don't sit in the proper way, they will feel uncomfortable eventually. And I'm here to tell you that you will feel uncomfortable eventually forever and ever. (laughs) That some days the body seems to work just fine. Other days you wish you had taken an ibuprofen before you sat down (laughs) just to get ready for the pain that will soon arise. But we have to commit ourselves to sitting and not moving. I'm fond of saying, when I started to meditate back in 1979, I could sit for very long times and not move. That's how good I was in 1979. And now I sit for very long times and can't move. That's what happens when you get old. So it's just one of those evolutionary things that goes on. But you're still sitting for long periods of time. That's good. How long is appropriate? Generally speaking, if you're at home, I would say 20 to 40 minutes is plenty. We have an hour here which gives you a chance to extend your meditation practice just to see how it feels to go a little bit longer. And then that one or two day mini retreat that we have each month gives you two hours to sort of stretch out and see how it feels. How does it feel to sit for two hours and not move? It's, it's really difficult because there you are with you. And, and you've tried to avoid you through distractions most of your life. And now you're stuck. And there's no place to go and nothing to do. And there you are. Okay, so what's a good technique to start with? I think a good technique to start with is breath counting. And that's what I did for two years. I would count my breath 1 to 10 and 10 to 1, 1 to 10 and 10 to 1. And when I lost my place, I would go back to 1. So the first year of my meditation practice, I called going back to 1. Because I could never get to 10 without being distracted. And sometimes I'd forget where I was, and sometimes I'd be involved in a wonderful fantasy, and then bang, you know, I'm supposed to be meditating back to 1. Now, as I got better, I went one, two, one, two. I didn't even go up to ten. I just went one, two. I got really good at one, two, one, two. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to make it even harder. I'm just going to say one, 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 one. But then I realized that was sort of Christian. 
It was sort of like the one, the only one. I wanted to make it Buddhist. So I went from one to none. None, none, none. <laughs> emptiness. I was working on my emptiness. Nothing, you know. And, and, and so that's where I sort of am now. I'm at none until I just become aware of what's going on. So what's going on? Everything's going on all the time. It never stops. We've got the sounds, we've got the taste, we've got the smells, we've got the touch, we've got everything is always going on. So I said to myself, I'm going to have to change time. Because when I live in relative time, it can drag or it can speed up. And, and as I sit in my meditation and look at the clock and realize I've got 55 minutes to go, <laughs> it seems like forever. So after a couple years of breath counting, I figured out how to change time from relative to ultimate. So the relative time is the clock, is the minutes and the seconds and the hours and the days. And the, that's relative time. And we sit here and we count off each tick of the watch, each second hand tick. Okay, and that will drive you crazy and it'll make it seem like forever. What is ultimate time? Ultimate time is when you find your way into the ever-changing reality of the present moment without identifying it as a second, a minute, or an hour, but simply resting in the flow. And then it can flow for a really long time and for a really short time, and it doesn't feel like either one. But the relative time, we have trained ourselves to feel how long 20 minutes is, how long an hour is. And we have that feeling. And we know, we know that an hour is a really long time. And maybe we shouldn't have committed ourselves to meditation practice because we can't sit for an hour. It's impossible. But if you take away the hour, you're just sitting. You're not sitting for any length of time. You're simply sitting. And in the Zen tradition, they have shikantaza, just sitting. So can we just sit without any conscious effort on identifying how long or how short? How does it feel to sit in the ever-changing flow of the universe? And that's what we're doing in meditation. We're practicing to let go. Now, if you don't like breath counting... There are other techniques you can use as well, but talking about the four jhanas and the five aspects of jhana, I think is a good way to understand the art of letting go. It is said that the first jhana has five characteristics, applied thought, sustained thought, happiness, bliss, and equanimity. So we sit in meditation, we bring our attention to the tip of our nose and either count the breaths or feel the sensation of breath. So after two years of breath counting, I went to feeling the sensation. And what I left behind were the concepts of numbers. And it made it easier to leave other concepts behind as well. Sensation is always happening right now. It never happens in the past. It never happens in the future. 
We have memories of sensations in the past and, the, and, and anticipations of sensations in the future. But when we're physically connected to a sensation, it is right now. So there we are, applied thought and sustained thought, and when our mind becomes focused on the object of meditation and not distracted by the 10,000 things that always distract us, what we have is happiness, we have bliss, and we have equanimity. Those things arise out of this meditation practice. Now, in order to go further, and being a Buddhist, we are not going to attain anything. Uh, A famous Buddhist once said, if you have attained anything, you're doing it wrong. And that's the, I, that's, the, that's the confusing part about meditation, is rather than gaining something, we are losing something. We're going to lose pleasure, and we're going to lose pain. Buddhism is a path of renunciation. We can prevent pain from arising for a short period of time, by going into a state of denial or by focusing on our object of meditation so hard that nothing else exists. But that's not quite the idea. The idea is to give up your aversion to pain and to give up your attachment to pleasure because it's the aversion and the attachment that causes the suffering. So we, as a Buddhist, we say there is a difference between pain and pleasure. There is a difference between understanding that attachment leads to suffering and pain leads to suffering, but generally speaking, we're not in charge of either one. So when we go to the hospital because we're in great pain, we talk to the doctor and he gives us some medication. When we go to the hospital and we're in great suffering, the doctor works on the pain and the chaplain works on the suffering. And the last time I was in Kaiser Permanente, which was a few years ago, one of the nurses said, we have chaplains, would you like to see a chaplain? (laughs) I said, what kind of chaplains do you have? We have all kinds of chaplains here. I said, okay, I'd like to talk to the Buddhist chaplain. I was curious what he was going to say. And she came back five minutes later and said, We only have Christian chaplains. I say, thank you. I'll wait till next time to talk to a chaplain. (laughs) So here we are, and we're going to let go of our attachment, and we're going to let go of our aversion. And I can't tell you how to do it, because each of us has our own techniques on letting go. But when you figure that out, you get to go into the third jhana. And then when you're in the third jhana, you have equanimity, you have happiness, and you have sadness. And now you've got to figure out how to let go of your attachment to happiness and your aversion to sadness. Again, letting go. This is a key element of, of our liberation as a human being. Because we're taught to be attached from day one. You know, attached to our mom, attached to food, attached to shelter, attached to toys, attached to all sorts of stuff. And that gives us security and allows us to feel connected to the world around us. 
But really it prevents us from being connected to the world around us, that attachment and that aversion. So when you figure out finally how to let go of your attachment to happiness and your aversion to sadness, then you only have one characteristic left. And that is perfect balance of mind, equanimity. No left, no right, no high, no low, no small, no big. Wow. Suzuki Roshi called it choiceless awareness. That's the place when you have the direct experience of your life and what it means. And of course, when you think deeply into the meaning of your life, you'll realize it doesn't mean anything more than you think it does, which is really disappointing. Because <laughs> I thought it would at least have some meaning, but no. So here you are in this perfect place of balance and equanimity. And the problem the Buddha found in being there is it wasn't forever. It was temporary. You had put a lot of conditions in place for it to occur. You, had a, you were sitting quietly. You turned off your cell phone. You had an object of meditation. You were focusing on it. All these conditions allowed you to come to a place of balance and equanimity. So the idea I figured out a long time ago was not to want to meditate, but to make the conditions necessary for meditation to happen, for it to happen. And our life is the same way. We are conditional. We have at least 10,000 conditions necessary so we can live today. And, 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 And it's not, I want to live, I want the conditions necessary for me to live. So that's why we have water and food and shelter and clothing and all the things necessary for us to live just this one day. But then we find out that one day, no matter how good we are at putting the conditions together, we will fail. The conditions will change. And they will not support our life any longer. Now, I know we have wonderful hospitals and doctors and nurses, but you know what doctors call what they do? They call it a practice. They're practicing to make us better. Well, we all have a meditation practice, and we know why we call it a practice, because it's not perfection. We haven't figured it out yet. And you will be practicing meditation for the rest of your life, just like the Buddha did. Even after his nirvana, he meditated every day because it kept bringing things physically back into balance. His mind was perfectly balanced. He had equanimity, non-attachment, clarity. Wow. All those things we strive for in our meditation practice, he achieved, and he called it nirvana. But he couldn't do anything about his body. Meditation does not make our body better. (laughs) So... He found through samatha meditation, it would bring his body back into balance. So, cool, okay. So we, us, we, the people who are meditating as a practice, are working on bringing our mind into balance and our body into balance. And we call mind into balance nirvana. And we call body into balance good health. But one day, just like the Buddha... At the age of 80, in his case, 
He had to die. He had to die. And he died because somebody offered him food. They wanted to show their respect to the Buddha and offered food. Come, sit with us, eat with us. And he did. And he got food poisoning. And the word that they use is either pork or mushroom. That's the word in Pali, pork or mushroom, depending on the context. So we don't know. The Vietnamese call it the mushroom because they're basically vegetarian. And the Germans call it the pork (laughs) because they're basically carnivorous. So it works out fine. But whatever the reason, he had to die. And he thanked, he thanked the person that gave him the deadly meal. He said, finally, finally I can leave this body. I can leave this planet. And I can enjoy my nirvana. Because until you leave your body, you're going to be, you're going to have pain and suffering and rigid muscles. And it's going to be hard to get up and it's going to be hard to get down. And all those things, not because it's bad, but because you're old. And when you get old, those things happen. And there are times when the Buddha was walking, he needed to sit down because his back hurt. Now, I read that and I said, you know what's so cool about that is he never became more than human. He stayed human his whole life. But when he had a bad back, he didn't suffer. He just had pain. When his legs didn't work quite right, he didn't suffer. He just realized he was old. And everybody that's old has a hard time walking. And eventually, a lot of us will not be able to walk at all. But we don't have to suffer. It's simply the way it is in our experience of the world. So as we go through this whole meditation process and we find our position and we settle our mind and we find our object of meditation and we start to practice letting go of relative time and entering ultimate time, absolute time, which is simply the flow of the universe, what we start to see, and this is really difficult to accept, is we never get any better at meditation. It is not a linear experience. It's not like trying out for the Olympics. And you start with zero, and you practice, and you weightlift, and you eat well, and you do all the things necessary, and one day you become a champion. There are no champions in meditation. Because every time you sit down to meditate, it's always the first time. Always the first time. So you may have sat for a month and a half with no pain at all. And all of a sudden, one day, you can barely walk after meditation because your knees hurt so much and you say to yourself, I thought I was getting good. I thought I had figured it out. And this was never going to happen again. And it did. And it's so disappointing. And why should I keep meditating if I can't get better at meditation? What's the purpose of meditation? The purpose of meditation is to practice letting go. So can you let go of your disappointment in not achieving perfect meditation? I think you can. It's difficult, though, because we want to always get better. We were told if we do the right things, we will always get better. And not necessarily so. 
There are some things that you do and you don't get better and you don't get worse. You simply do them. So the good meditator is one who meditates. In spite of all the ups and downs, in spite of all the successes and failures, despite of all the pain and suffering they go through week after week and month after month, they continue to come to the zendo or that little corner in the room at home and they continue to sit down with no idea of progress but simply to do it. That it's the journey and not the destination that's the most important thing in meditation. And the meditation journey is to sit on the cushion. And you can get different cushions, and you can get lofty cushions and flatter cushions and sometimes colorful cushions. It doesn't make your meditation any better at all. But you spend a lot of money looking for the solution to bad posture and there is no solution. So can you accept that? Can you let go of wanting to be different than you are? Can you accept every time you sit down that this is who you are today and tomorrow you'll be somebody else? Maybe not better, maybe not worse, but you'll simply be somebody else. And then the next day you'll be somebody else and all those somebody else's turn out to be you. Can you count on yourself showing up every time to meditate? You can't count on the same self to show up every time you meditate, but somebody shows up. That's a good thing, you know? So when I said the idea in meditation is to let go, and I heard the silence on the other side of the Skype camera, I realized either what I had to say was so profound it was misunderstood or so simple it was ignored. One of the two. But communication at that moment had stopped. (laughs) So he thanked me very much for the interview. He said, I'm going to have to edit it. I said, yeah. (laughs) And I might have it done in a couple weeks. Okay, send me an email. And I, and I thought about emailing him back and explaining, but then I thought to myself, what's the point? You know, the, the whole thing is we're talking about non-relative experience beyond the intellectual. We're going into the realm of the intuitive, where feelings and sensations become our only reality, not the concepts and paradigms that we use in daily life. So you can't over-explain it, you can't under-explain it, You just do it, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and one day you may suffer less. No guarantees, because sometimes it takes a few lifetimes to get it right, and there is no right. 